There's an old saying in the South, when a preacher looks at his watch, it means absolutely nothing. <laughs> but I want to talk to you from a, a passage of scripture that has been really, well, well first of all, Bong, do you have that picture I brought? Because I want to show you guys what's been keeping me busy the last year. I told my wife, this is Harlan Jr., affectionately known as Junebug, and I told my wife, I said, if I'd known he'd come out looking that good, we should have started having kids a long time ago. <laughs> I want to talk to you today about this topic called amazing love that I think is found in the scripture of Luke 22, verse 31 through 34, and it reads, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your fate may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to debt. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And as we all know, Peter later on in this chapter denies Christ and the rooster crows. But the question I ask today why didn't Peter respond the way he said he would? It was more than just, well, you know, Jesus said uh, he would deny him. Peter was the closest to Christ. He was the first to proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the first to trust Jesus enough to get out of the boat and take a few steps onto water. He was brought up to the mountain of transfiguration. He even cut off the ear of a Roman uh, soldier when Jesus was arrested. If there was anyone who should have stood up for Jesus, it should have been Peter. But why didn't he? You see, Peter is a lot like we are. He was so devoted, so committed, yet didn't understand that we cannot be all in for Christ while trying to hold on to everything else. But Peter wasn't along in all of this. There were countless others besides the disciples that deserted him. If you rewind to the triumphal infantry, I know this uh, last week was Pentecost Sunday, but I'm sort of taking us back to, to Palm Sunday. If you rewind to the triumphal entry, uh, the crowd that went before Jesus and the ones that followed him were saying, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. All of these people were following Christ because they believed he was the Messiah. But in just five days, all of their belief turned into disappointment when Jesus was arrested. They figured, clearly you can't be the Messiah if you allow yourself to be arrested. But the disconnect that existed then was similar to what exists today. It says when, when, when Jesus was riding in on a donkey and people were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna in the Hebrew means to save, to rescue. They're, they're literally saying, Lord, save us, rescue us. But the irony of that is that what they wanted to be rescued from, Jesus wasn't there for. They wanted to be rescued from the Roman Empire. Uh, they essentially were saying, I mean, if you live in America they, today, you can relate to this. They were simply saying, Jesus, make Jerusalem great again. <laughs> but Jesus was saying, no, I'm actually here to save you from yourselves. Occasionally, I hear people say, why do we need a savior? 
What is the need for all of that? I think that question is answered when you understand our condition, which is the same condition that the Jews had at this time. Think about Jesus' ministry over the last three years of his life. Think about all the people he had healed, fed, rescued from horrible conditions, yet no one, not even the 12 closest to him, came to his defense. Even if you no longer believe he was the Messiah, he was still a man who only did good to those in need. Let us use our imagination for a bit. Let's, let's bring it closer to home. Now, imagine that this year, Passover is at the Rose Bowl. And Jesus just spent the last three years traveling through El Monte, Alhambra, San Marino, San Gabriel, Pasadena, just name a city. Doing nothing but life-changing, life-altering things. Some miracles he performed comes to mind like the man at the pool of Bethesda, the woman with the issue of blood, the man with the shriveled hand, the paralytic, the multitude, those who receive sight, the list goes on and on. Yet none of those people came to the defense of Christ. None of those people made it down to the Rose Bowl to defend Jesus. And I know someone would say, well, Harlan, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. And I would say, even if your defense would not have changed the situation, don't let history be written with you being silent. There's nothing honorable about that. Yet I feel in that silence we were all exposed because when we really were needed, we couldn't respond because there were other things that we allowed to take precedent in our lives and in our hearts. We live in a nation with over 240 million Christians But who has felt the impact of that? The world doesn't seem better as a result of that number. And I submit to you today that the reason Peter couldn't respond the way he thought he would is because he first had to deny himself, pick up his cross and follow Christ. You see, what separates Christianity from other religions is that you don't get to keep your life. You cannot be Christian and, you can only be Christian or. This will step on some toes, but I have to go there. Truthfully, you cannot be Christian and Democrat or Republican. These things are not synonymous with our faith. Why is that? Well, when you're not sold out for Christ, you are up for sale to everything else. I had a friend this past election season that got so deep into politics that there was no evidence that he was a Christian anymore. And when he somehow came to, he said, I don't know what came over me. I've never said those words before. I never behaved like that before. And that is because he wasn't careful to what he was given into, those competing interests for our hearts, wants to occupy that space that was only intended for Christ for the Holy Spirit. It can be easy for us to fall down the rabbit hole of being divided and distracted if we don't guard our hearts. There are so many competing interests out there for our hearts and all it wants to do is get a little space so that it could take over. Subliminally, we think, oh, I can give Jesus you know, 80% of my heart and 
20% to gambling, politics, alcohol, you name it. And I'll be functional. I can still function. I can still keep the presence of being a Christian. But yet slowly, we begin to lose the struggle to those things that we think are innocent. And it becomes, begins to take over our hearts. Begins to, because those things in itself want to rule in our lives. Paul says in Galatians that the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. Peter wasn't ready to give God his whole heart. There were too many other competing interests. But without Christ inhabiting us fully, we will always be in constant struggle to respond the way Jesus would want us to. We have to forsake all else to follow him. But even in the midst of our shortcoming, we witness this amazing love. We witness this Savior that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus gets upon that cross, looking down at the faces of those he had done nothing but good to. As some yell, crucify him and others remain silent. And in that passage of Luke, you see Jesus fully knowing that Peter will fail him. Yet he prays for Peter and encourages Peter to return and strengthen his brothers. San Marino Church, I believe God is calling you to be that church that shows all that are in this building and outside of this building God's amazing love. Just like Jesus is showing to Peter, who wouldn't want to be a part of that church where people pray for you when you fall and encourage you to get back up and go even stronger. But in order to do that, we have to commit ourselves to Christ and him alone. We have to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him. If we do not commit ourselves, we essentially become the disappointment that we read about in scripture. I think about just three chapters earlier in Luke as Mary pours perfume, pours perfume onto Jesus' body. Judas, Judas becomes enraged and says, why would you do that? We could have given that money to the poor. But Judas wasn't thinking about the poor. He was distracted by how much money that Mary was wasting. See, Judas was a thief, but not in the way we would see a thief in that moment. What Judas was attempting to rob Mary of was that intimacy, that relationship that she was partaking in with Christ. And then I think about that passage of scripture and I look at my own life and I say, well, God, who have I robbed from experiencing you? Who have I robbed for, for feeling the love and compassion and intimacy with Christ? I think about the things that distract me from following in the way of the cross. I know when we look back in scripture, nobody necessarily put themselves in Judas's place or the Pharisees or the people we read about. But when folks often ask Harlan, who killed Jesus? I said, we did. Even the Pharisees, they told Jesus, we would have never treated the prophets of old that way. And Jesus says, well, you indict yourself because those are your ancestors. How do we be fully committed all in so that we can truly live out and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ? 
one of the things that breaks my heart when I look at all of the problems of this world, and I think of people who are in need, and then I think of all the folks who are possibly waiting on us. The poor, the marginalized. Are people really at the whim of our generosity, our wanting to get it right, our hoping we get it together? That breaks my heart. But we have an opportunity to band together as one. Oneness is such a struggle in churches, and it's been a struggle for 2,000 years. You can read 1 Corinthians, Hebrews, Galatians, and you see those things that distract us from actually being the hands and feet of Jesus. But my prayer for you this morning is that we can lay aside many of those things and be able to focus on what Jesus really cares about. San Marino Church, I'm grateful for this opportunity. I ask for your prayers and this next phase of ministry at Harambe and in Northwest Pasadena, that God is calling us to do great things, but it can't be done without oneness, without Christians being committed to the things of God. God bless you.